when I was in college, the, uh, I was in a psychology class, and the professor was telling us about Pavlov and his dogs. You may be familiar with this. But uh, the Pavlov trained dogs to, I believe it was salivate whenever a bell rang. He trained them to have a physical response every time there was a bell ring. And so the professor wanted to try this in class. And so he gave us all like cups of like the lemonade powder, uh, lemonade sugar mixture. And um, when he would ring a bell, we would lick this sour sugary mixture. So, uh, you know, we kind of pucker up and salivate. And after doing this for about 10 minutes, then he rang the bell and maybe half the class, me included, uh, salivated. Because there are some things that can just be a natural response. I've done this with my own kids when they're little. If they grab my nose, then I would like make a honking or buzzing noise and do that over and over over a period of time so that they began to expect if I touch or grab dad's nose, then it makes this noise. Like the, and so there are some, I was thinking about that because there are some things that are like natural responses that we have. Some things, something happens and we react to it. But there's some things that really never become natural. You know, like there's some things that for some of us, no matter how patient we want to be, that doesn't become just a natural part. We don't just naturally react patiently. Maybe anxiety is the issue. And there's not just a natural, hey, I'm just, everything's okay. I'm just going to, you know, some of us don't have a natural reaction to forgive, to overlook, to do whatever. So, like, there are some things that are natural and some things that are not natural. I've been thinking about that a lot lately because I think every time the Bible is really, like, calling us to do something, it's really getting at that, the heart of that what is natural and what's not natural? What is the thing that we actually need to do to think, to hear, that actually produces a new response in us? But it's not a natural thing that we're dealing with. It's not, an, it's not whatever that is, that thing that we're supposed to do. It's not a natural thing. Or else the Bible wouldn't invite us into that, call us up into that, command that over us. Today we're going to be looking at one of those things that's not natural. What is one of those things that's not natural that makes a massive difference uh, in our spiritual lives, in our, in our just daily lives? What is one of those things that's not natural but makes a massive difference? Go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We've been going through the book of Ephesians. Today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 looking at verses 11 to 13. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 to 13. Therefore, Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would be reminded of something that's not natural and that you would use that to change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage calls us to remind ourselves and each other that God has brought us near. Remind ourselves and each other that God has brought us near. I want to show you this pattern. These three verses tell us five things to remind ourselves of. In this, five things to remind ourselves First thing it calls us to remind. Remind yourself that you have a new name. 
Remind yourself that you have a new name. Uh, the context for this is we're in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul is kind of finishing and phasing out his prayer. Um, his prayer, that, but specifically that the people would come to comprehend the love and power of God revealed in Christ Jesus and lived out in our salvation. He's praying that we would comprehend the power of God for us. And so then he turns here to Ephesians chapter 11. Because of that, because of God's great power revealed in Jesus Christ, manifested in our lives and our salvation. Therefore... Because of that, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by human hands. What he's saying, I want you to remember. I want you to mention this. I want you to mention it over and over. I don't want you to forget this. I want you to remind yourself of that. Remembering it, I want you to remind each other of this. And then he gets to like, this is what you guys, this is what you're called. He, he begins to talk about you guys, you Gentiles, you non-Jewish people, and he starts talking about you are described as the uncircumcision by those called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by human hands. What he, he's he's pointing out that you Gentiles were defined by your bodies, that you were not born into the people of Israel, and that you did not join the people of Israel through the rite of circumcision. And so the thing that defines you is you are called a name, Gentile, and uncircumcision. This is who you are. You are defined by your flesh. Your physical bodies is what you were defined by. He says, remember that at one time, that you used to be. You used to be defined by your physical body. The, 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 not just the, the, the you know, tall, short no, not that. He's, he's describing that your inclusion or exclusion from the people of God, and he'll get to the promises of God and the hope of God and those kinds of things. But it was your, your inclusion in the people of God was defined by your flesh. He's really pointing out your name. You used to be called Gentile, uncircumcision. You used to be far away from the people and promises of God. The name that you had defined you. He says, you used to be. Verse that's in verse 11. And when he gets to verse 13, he's going to say, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In each of these elements, Paul is going to say, you used to be called by a name as excluded from the people of God, but now you've been brought near. You used to be called by the name Gentile, uncircumcision, separated from God's people. Remind yourself. And so what he's saying is that your relationship with God is now defined by your relationship with Christ. Not by your physical body and whether you have gone through the rite of circumcision or uncircumcision. He's saying you are defined by God in relationship to Christ and no longer by your birth and no longer by laws that you have to keep. You are now being called by a name that is different. Because you're being defined by Jesus' flesh, the blood, by the blood of Christ. By Jesus' body, not by your own body. By Jesus' law-keeping, not your own. And so you now have a new name, is what Paul is telling them. And so that's what he's telling you and I. He's saying, you guys have a new name. Your name used to be defined by your flesh, used to be defined by law-keeping. You used to be called by this. But now, you are defined by the blood and body of Jesus Christ, broken for you, given to you, and now you have a new name. Don't, don't be defined by the things from your past. Be defined by Jesus. 
I'm reminded of when we got married. Um, I don't remember this happening a whole lot, but I know that at first there was this uh, this adjustment. We had to go and get my wife a new social security card, and she had to begin saying, my name is Radosevich, not Frost. Like, And there, there's this adjustment. I imagine for anybody whose name changes, there begins to be this adjustment period. It's kind of like when I... <laughs> When I was a um, about 12 or 13, I was playing soccer. And at that moment, I wanted to, instead of going by my name Joseph, I wanted to go by the nickname Joe. And so I introduced myself to my coach and my teammates as Joe. The problem is, I'd never gone by Joe before. And so in the middle of a game, the coach is trying to get my attention to get me to do something. And he's yelling out Joe, and I've never listened to that name before. And my parents had to tell the coach, call out, yell out Joseph, and he'll listen to you. And he called out my name. And I, I heard him, and I turned, and I paid attention. This passage is saying that we have a name. We have a new name that we have to begin to go by, not defined by the old name. That's kind of a little reverse of like my own story. My own story was I wanted to go by a new name, but I hadn't gotten used to it yet. This passage says don't go back to the old name of Gentile uncircumcision. Don't go back to the old way of being defined by your own law-keeping and your own flesh. Instead, be defined by Jesus' law-keeping, Jesus' flesh. You have a new name. So the application of that for you and I is to begin to go, how do we live that out? How do I remind myself that I have a new name? I am defined by Jesus' flesh, Jesus' blood, not my own. How do I say that my name, my definition comes from Jesus' obedience, not my obedience? Can I remind myself of that day after day after day, soaking in that so that the power of sin is broken in my life? The cycle of shame and guilt is broken in my life. Or the other, another application of that is to say, in the, in the body, in the church, can we remind each other, you have a different name. You're no longer defined by how much you can obey, but on how Jesus has obeyed in your behalf. You have a different name because you are included in Christ through his blood. You have a different name. The second thing to remind ourselves of from this passage is remind yourself that you are now part of God's people. Remind yourself that you're now part of God's people. Verse 12 says, remember that you were at that time. So, he, so what happens? Verse 11, he says, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. And he kind of digresses. So he's picking that back up in verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. He's going to dig. He's going to start going through a list. And I want to show you the first one. Remind yourself that you're now part of God's people. You remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Commonwealth is not a normal word that we would use. We might just say the people or citizenship. Commonwealth is a good word for that because he's pointing to the fact that some are born into Israel, but they're not really part of Israel. They never had their hearts changed, is what Jeremiah points us to. Is that they, their hearts were never pointed to, but the commonwealth of Israel, that is the law-keeping people living by faith under God. And he's saying, you used to be alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. This is the true God's people. Not just the, the people that were born into it who might live in the land, but their hearts are far from God. As we saw some of the kings of Israel, so often the people of Israel in the book of Judges, turning away from God in rebellion, like they were born in, but they weren't actually like, like following and loving God and living by faith. And so he's actually saying, you used to be alienated from the true people of God, living by faith with hearts of trust in God, walking in obedience to him. 
You used to be estranged from the people of Israel. You used to be alienated. You used to be separated. You used to be without Christ. And Paul is saying, you guys, you used to be separated from the people of God. Verse 13 is going to say, but now you who are far away, that's the alienated from the people of God, have been brought near in the blood of Christ. Remind yourself that you used to be separated from the people of Israel, but now you are part of God's people. You now are a part of God's people because you are included in the blood of Christ. That's what here at verse 12 he's starting to get to. You used to be separated from the people of God, but now you are, have been brought near. Now you're part of the people of God. Why did, like, and so he's saying, you used to be estranged, but now you're not. You used to be estranged, but now you're not. Why does that matter? The, 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 one of the themes in the Bible is God who is calling and saving and redeeming and providing for and promising for his people. And so here in Ephesians, this is, this is just this awesome, this awesome moment. He says, oh, you used to be separated from the people of God. All of the promises, all of the hopes, all, all of the, the comfort, all of that did not include you. But now it does include you. And so you can read the Bible and say, this is for me because I am now part of the people of God. I am now part of the people of God. That's why this matters is that we begin to say, I used to be separated from the people of God, but now. I'm part of the people of God. And all God's promises are for me. God's good news is for me. God's actions in history are for me. It's not just Moses and the people of Israel in Egypt. I'm a part of God's people. Book of Revelation with the promises of God wiping away every tear from my... That's now for me because I am now part of God's people. And so you and I have to begin to say, I am now part of God's people. One of my favorite verses is in the, at the end of Leviticus. Where he, all of these laws are given to the people. It says, God says, I give you these so that you would be mine. Ephesians 2 tells us that's true. It's true for us. We are His. We are now included in the people of God by the blood of Christ. We all know. We all know what it's like. It's easy to point to times as a child, maybe where we were excluded from a game, from a sport, from a club, from a group. We know what it's like to be outsiders and to be not included. Maybe as an adult, you know what it's like because of the color of your skin or because of the job that you have or because maybe because you're a Christian to be excluded from a group, to be on the outside, to be looking in and going, oh, where do I... Like, how do I get in here? How, how do I become the person that my boss likes? How do I become a part of the inner circle that makes the decisions? How do I fit into a group and find people who care about me? This passage says that that used to be the reality for us spiritually. But not anymore. We used to be on the outside looking at God's people and wishing we could be included, but not anymore. Remind yourself that you are now part of God's people. That is part of the task for you and I, is to not go, I hope one day to be a part of God's people, to obey enough, to somehow, to, to somehow be good enough. I have to remind myself, as I wake up, morning after morning, I am now part of God's people. God includes me in His family, in the commonwealth of Israel. 
Uh, that is our job in the church to remind each other and say, we are a part of God's people now. We are a part of God's people now. It's established, it's firm, it's true, and it's not going to change. The third thing to remind ourselves of from this passage, again in verse 12, is it calls us to remind yourself that God's promises are for you. Verse 12. So right after excluded from the or alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, it says, and strangers to the covenants of promise. And strangers to the covenants of promise. Covenant is a word for a very formal promise. A, a formal promise that binds with, with uh, is an agreement between two parties. I will make these, I will make these, uh, these stipulations. I will do these things and you will do these things. And we are binding ourselves to seek one another's good in relationship forever. So it's kind of like a promise with a relationship and with stipulations around it. The cool thing is there are some covenants in the Bible where God makes a promise solely by himself with no requirements on the people. God himself keeps the promise. But they, So what he's pointing them to is you used to be strangers to the covenants. You used to be separated from the covenants where God promised so much for his people. Used to the God, the promises that God made throughout the Old Testament in Genesis, in Exodus, in Numbers, in Deuteronomy, in the in the prophets, when God made and renewed covenants, they didn't include you. They were not yours. And so God's promise of giving us new of giving his people new hearts and new minds didn't include us. When those promises of God blessing his people didn't include us, but he says, now by the blood of Christ, it does include you. It does include you. So that God's promises are for you. God's promises are now for you because you are in Christ Jesus. And you don't have to go, man, I really hope I get included. I hope that this is for me. You used to be strangers. Of the covenants of promise. Remember, verse 13 says, You used to be far away, but now you've been brought near. Bring it. You used to be strangers of the covenants of promise, but now you're not strangers to them. The covenants of promise are for you. And so we can go to passages like John 14, looking at the promises of God and going, This is for me. This is for me. Jesus I said, I am the way. The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is saying we can actually come to the Father. Earlier in, in chapter 14, he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If I were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. The promises of God are for us. We used to be strangers to the promises of God, but now we're not. Now those are for us. And the call to you and I is to remind ourselves, God's promises are for me. God's, God's word is not just a dry series of things to put on the shelf, but if I am in Christ Jesus, I can take God's promises for myself. The God's promises are for me. Not just something out there that may happen, we hope that they happen. These are God promising that he will do these things. And so we can go, we can go through the Bible and say, these are for us. I used to be strangers to these things, but because of the body and blood of Christ, broken for me and resurrected, I am included in these things. This is the kind of thing that you and I have to remind each other of. These promises are for us. The fourth thing we to remind ourselves of is remind yourself that you have a new hope. Remind yourself that you have a new hope. Verse 12, again, points us to this. He's stranger to the covenants of promise. Having no hope. 
Just a simple description. We used to be far away having no hope. We used, it doesn't mean that nobody hoped for anything. It doesn't mean that the other people living in the land around Israel, or in this case around Turkey, they didn't hope for things, but they had no real hope. They didn't had no hope that the true God of the world was going to come and rescue them. That he was going to break the chains of sin and oppression that they were under because of their sin. They had no hope. They had no hope that one day the God of the universe would wipe away every tear from their eye. That he would do justice. That he would satisfy his people. That he would bless them in relationship to him, to him and give them a job reigning and ruling with him forever. We used to have no hope. Now we have hope. Now we have true hope. Now we have a true hope that the God of the universe is going to do these things on our behalf. We used to have no hope. But now we have hope. I was recently talking with somebody about what, what I would say at their funeral. <laughs> if I do the funeral. And, and um, funerals are a, a really strange thing. I've seen bad funerals. I've seen good funerals. I can't promise that I will do the best funeral for somebody, but I do know that we cannot tell the true story of what's happening at a funeral if we do not ground real hope in the God of the universe who promises to deal with the sin and rebellion that is crippling and crushing our own hearts breaking our relationships in our family, and breaking our bodies down as we die a physical death. We can't have real hope unless we deal and talk about the God of the universe who says, I will fix this. And that one day says, I will wipe away every tear from your eye. I love the end of the book of Revelation because it gives a picture of the God who is making all things new. And so at a funeral, for there to be real hope, it has to be grounded in the God of the universe who is the only person who can take care of the mess and problems that I have made and that you have made. And the good news of the Bible is that those who have been brought near in the blood of Christ can be confident that we have a true and lasting hope. So, that, so you and I's job is to remind ourselves that we have hope. We have a true hope. And we have a new hope that it is coming. And so remind ourselves day after day after day, even as we live in a world racked by violence and racked by uncertainty, and we live lives facing disease and sickness and estrangement and brokenness. We, are, we have to remind ourselves we used to have no hope, but because of the blood of Christ, we have been brought near and we have real hope. We have to remind each other, not, oh, I think it will get better, and not just give each other strategies for getting through difficult circumstances. But a greater hope is coming. One day the king will return. And he will make everything new. We have to remind each other of that new hope. The fifth thing to remind ourselves of is remind ourselves that God is now with us. Remind ourselves that God is now with us. The end of verse 12 says, So without hope, and ha or, I'm sorry, and having no hope, And without God in the world. Translation could say, and godless in the world. Walking lies in the world without God. 
And he says, we used to go through life without God. Not him not being near us. Us not seeing his blessing, seeing his favor. We used to be godless people. But by the blood of Christ, we are not without God anymore. By the blood of Christ, we who were far away have been brought near. We who were godless now have God with us. This is, this is the name that he took for himself. We see it in Isaiah and we see it come up in the book of Matthew. That when, when God himself comes to earth, he takes the name Emmanuel, God with us. And Ephesians chapter 2 calls us, remind yourself, you used to be godless, but now God is with us. Now Emmanuel, God is with me. We have to remind ourselves, God is is with us. We have to remind each other, I don't know what you're going through or how hard this diagnosis, this uncertainty, this job loss, this estrangement, this depression, this dis- I don't know how much this is hurting or how this is, but I do know that God takes the name God with us and if we are in Christ, then we can know we are never godless again. We are never without God. We have to begin to remind each other of that real and lasting hope. God is with us. God is with us in this, at this moment, and in this season, and at this time. So this passage calls us to remind ourselves and others that God has brought us near. God has brought us near. These were all the ways that we were far away, but now we've been brought near. We have a new name. We are now part of God's people. We now have God's promises for us. We have a real and lasting hope. And we have that because God is with us. And you go, Joe, you keep talking about the blood of Christ being for us. These promises now being for us. We once were outsiders. We are now insiders. We used to have a a different name and now we have the name of God himself. We used to be without God. How can that be for me? How can that be mine? The, The Bible tells us that God made the world and he made it good. And because God then made the world, that means he owns it and he's the king of it. And everything in it is under his authority. And he put Adam and Eve in the garden and said, You will be little kings on the earth. Subdue and rule the earth. Fill it under my authority. That was expressed in one rule. And Adam and Eve and every person after them said, No, we will not follow your rules. We, will live your, we are going to live our own ways, setting up our own kingdoms. We do not want you. That broken relationship, that rebellion against God is what the Bible describes as sin. And the punishment of sin is death, physical death and spiritual death. Physical death in these bodies and spiritual death in hell forever. But instead of leaving us under that judgment, the Bible says that Jesus, God himself, Emmanuel, came and lived the life that we should live, died the death that we should die, and was raised to new life. So that everybody who repents of sin, turning away from it, confessing, God, I have lived in rebellion against you, trusting in Jesus, the God-man, who has lived the life we should live, died the death that we should die, and was raised now, trusting in his life, death, and resurrection for us, and then, tr- and then turning to follow him. That's what that trust is, that following his lordship, his leadership, saying, we are now going to live in relationship to you as our great king over us, because you have given yourself for us. If that's called repentance and faith, that is the way that the blood of Christ becomes ours and that we can go from far away to near in Christ. And if you have questions about that, please get a hold of me and, let me, and say, I want this for me. This is the, the best news that you can ever hear. This is the news that changes everything. 
So this passage calls us to remind ourselves that God has brought us near. I want you to imagine for me what changes. For people that live under the definition of other people. What other people think about us. What our uh, reputations are with them. Instead, we become defined by a new name. A new name that God gives us. We, We who are defined by the groups that we find ourselves in. And what other people think about us. Instead, find we are now part of God's people. Imagine what changes when we say, our, my identity comes from the name and belonging that I have with God's people, not what the people around me think. That sounds like freedom. Imagine what changes when we begin to go, God's promises are for me, and so I am going to daily remind myself of God's blessings and promises throughout the Bible because those are for me now, because I am in the people. That sounds like freedom. Imagine what changes when we remind ourselves that our hopes don't depend on on this year, they don't depend on the outcome of a procedure. Our hopes don't depend on anything here, but on the God of the universe who says, I will wipe away every tear from your eyes and I will make everything new. That's our hope. Imagine what changes. That sounds like freedom in this life. Imagine what changes. When we remind each other that God is with us. The world can stand against us, but God is with us. Imagine what changes. In the life of a family that says, we are going to be defined by God being with us. Not by what's happening around us or to us. We are, imagine what happens to a church that says, we are going to be defined by God being with us. Not what the people around our community think about us or how things might be going. We are going to be defined by the presence of God. It sounds like freedom. Let's pray. God, as we open your word today, speak, help us. Help us to let this sink in deeply. Help us to remind ourselves of this Holy Spirit. Use us to remind each other of these truths. In Jesus' name, amen.